Hi, and welcome to this week's VFX show. I'm Mike Seymour, and joined on, uh, well, I'd like to say on Deep Space Nine or Outer Space somewhere, but I, I don't know what the right uh, place is as this movie jumps all the place. But anyway, Ad Astra with Matt Wallen and Jason Diamond. Matt and Jason, how are you guys? Really good. Doing great. So um, we go where many filmmakers have gone before into uh, outer space uh, with a film that um, obviously is a bit of a star vehicle for Brad Pitt and is a very interestingly made film. But before we get to the uh, making of it, um, Jason, what did you actually think of the film? I didn't know what to think about it going into it. The trailer looked super interesting and I liked it. James Gray's last movie, Lost City of Z, I think that's shot by Darius Kanji. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a beautiful film. It's actually the only film I like Char Charlie Hunnam in, quite frankly. But uh, <laughs> um, I was pleasantly surprised. I'll, we can just say spoiler alerts right from the top because we're just going to get into it. But to me, it felt like a mix between 2001 and Apocalypse Now, but without the war stuff. Like all the psychological yeah. commentary. Yeah, especially that whole idea of uh, from Apocalypse Now of I just can't believe they wanted this guy dead. Um, you know, yeah. the most decorated kind of guy. Uh, thing I thought that was kind of super. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, and I loved Apocalypse Now. Oh well, I mean, of course, yeah, just it's a masterpiece. It. Uh, yeah, but in this case, it was super interesting because um, they chose some really interesting um, plot devices for getting his Brad Pitt's feelings across. Some are exposition about who his father was and him. Talking, saying I don't really have a relationship with him or it's been 13 years or blah, 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 or this and that. And then all the way up through the Blade Runner-esque um, little, you know, put the, put the device on your neck and do a psychological profile every 20 minutes and talk about your feelings. And then you, you pass them because at no point does he ever not pass. But it's just an interesting device for him to, to speak his feelings out loud. Uh, instead of just all being voiceover. Yeah. So it's just kind of smart. It's like, an, I, I, I think also a fair comparison is like the way that the gray is to the art version movie of an action film. This is the art movie version of a space film. Uh, even though there's probably more art movies compared to space than there are action. Uh, I think they decided, they decided to go, uh, like the whole movie is basically on his face for all intents and purposes. Like it's very shot, very close, even super close. Um, and it's just him with like almost no emotion for the whole movie as this super even guy. Oh, wow. I can't believe his heartbeat. Your, I heard your heartbeat never got above 50 or whatever bullshit exposition they needed to do. But um, I, I was in, like there was no point where I was like, meh. Uh, like it, 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 I enjoyed it. It was, it was engaging. And, uh, okay. And I, and I do like, I do like, I mean, I'm a huge Brad Pitt fan, you know, uh, just to as yeah. a base as a baseline here. But, um, I think that I like that they did the, there was no hyper sleep. There was no like dude had to be in the ship by himself for 80 days, you know, like, it was it was a lot rawer than a lot of space movies where they're like drink the heavy water and go to sleep and breathe ox you know oxygen water for however long and wake up and be refreshed fight aliens and you know just him just him you know 
in Neptune, you, we never go to other planets in our solar system anymore in movies. There, it's always other galaxies and shit. So it's interesting to see, like, having to be in our solar system. Okay. What do you reckon, Matt? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I would largely concur. I, I totally had the... I'm, I'm so glad to hear that I wasn't alone. Maybe it's super obvious, but the uh, the apocalypse now... It feels like the movie is it's structured... Um, Plot-wise, almost exactly like Apocalypse Now, right down mm-hmm. to even having like the the moon uh, chase is sort of like the um, you know the the flight of the Valkyries sequence, and then yeah. you have the just yeah. the distress call with the, um, uh, sh- the sort of ghost ship with the uh, the uh, mm-hmm. b- baboon or whatever space on it. monkeys, and, yeah, and that's uh, very much like the sort of. Um, the massacre on the boat, you know, the patrol boat where they have they pull over and stop the the sampan or whatever, and wind yeah. up having sort of this uh, incident when he says, well, "There's no need to stop. We can keep going." And the, it's almost the line yeah. for line. Yeah, and the the go go girls yeah. arriving uh, in Apocalypse Now was very much yeah. that sort of commercialization of the war zone was very much like mm-hmm. the moon's commercialization sequences with the fast food venues. Yeah, so it yeah, felt, it but felt also like it, never get out of the boat. <laughs> totally, yeah. It felt like they took a lot of that same sort of DNA, and and rather than having it be kind of the 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 Coppola sort of riff on the Joseph Conrad's, you know, the nature of of man and uh, you know life and death, it, it was more this sort of um, kind of Freudian paternal uh, kind of yeah. you know I am my father, I am not my father, all those kind of those. Um, more cl- sort of uh, classical kind of literary connections. The only thing I, I and I thought there were some amazing visuals in it. It's it's really fun to watch. I, I agree. It's totally like a sci-fi art film, and I think we actually have seen quite a few of those lately. If you look at the Alex Garland, um, both, oh, yeah. both Ex Machina and um, Annihilation, I think kind of fall into that category, and maybe even Under the Skin too, the Scarlett Johansson one. Um, sure, totally. And this kind of has that same but space. Yeah, this this kind of has that same flavor, though. As like that, it's that kind of pacing, and um, it's pretty slow. The only thing I would say is that I, I, for me anyway, I felt like the movie was really trying to deliver this powerful emotional punch, um, and I, I never found myself. I, I I wanted to be, but I never really found myself moved. Uh, in an emotional yeah. way where I, I just never really connected with the character. I never really connected with the struggle that the character was going through. And I, and I, I feel like that's where the movie, uh, it's, it's fun to watch. I, w- I would recommend seeing it just for the visual effects. I think there's some great stuff in it. But I don't think that it, as a holistic thing, as a film, it, it, what it's trying to do, I just felt like it didn't really deliver. Um, well, on the, on the also, was. But am I the only one that thinks this film just had the dumbest plot devices in history? Like, <laughs> uh, I agree with the, the... Well, okay, so let me just catalogue how stupid this is. <laughs> firstly, firstly, like, he has to fly to the moon to send a message. I'm sorry, why? And then, you know, like, he, do, he doesn't get to get the message out properly, so he climbs aboard a taking-off spaceship which, you know, is in no way like risky from in terms of like dying from the vast <laughs> amount of heat generated and, and the uh, particulate that's being thrown up when you actually fire a rocket. And then 
guess what? You only need one person to fly ships. So why do they have these vast crews? Also, why are they doing experiments with a monkey halfway to Mars or to the moon or anywhere? Like, couldn't you just do that in low orbit? Like, what the point was the monkey? There was just no point to this experiment with the monkey. And it was the what the Norwegians have decided to take a wild ape into the middle of nowhere and then just have it <laughs> for no reason. It was just nuts. And then on top of that, I'm sorry, if you want to get your yourself back to your spaceship, the thing to do is to jump off a rotating moving object (laughs) (laughs) and then hold something in front of you because your inertia in no way is going to be compensated by bumping into things that would then slow you down. And wait for it, I can perfectly triangulate jumping off the rotating round thing and aim at another moving object in space on the other side of an asteroid belt and hit it with the kind of certainty that I couldn't do and most people couldn't do with a precision rifle, yet alone like leaping into the unknown with zero gravity. And oh, by the way, like, do we really think, do we really in, in our wildest uh, imaginings imagine that there was any point to him going there? Like he basically went all the way there and just it all stopped, Right. But, 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 but let's imagine there was no other way to do it than someone going there. Why did it have to be Brad? And even if there was some reason why it had to be Brad, do we really believe that you could blow up something in deep space and ride the shockwave right the way back to Earth <laughs> successfully? Also, where was all this food coming from that he's being sustained on? And how is he like coping with any number of a million problems that are coming up? They just, it's Over like... 13 years. Yeah, it's like, and then, and then he gets back to Earth and guess what? his girlfriend makes up with him. Because, you know, the thing that my wife would really like me to do is bugger off for years to try and kill my father. Like, that's the thing <laughs> that would get me back with my ex if I, if I was in an ex situation, which I'm not. I mean, like, is there any part of this plot that, like, anyone else just thinks has any common sense? Now, the visuals are magnificent. I loved the pacing of it. I thought some of the sequences were exquisite and beautifully, like, not fast edited and... Cinematography, tons of stuff, right? Uh, visual effects, I really like. But, you know, when you're just like taken out of the film, is this is so dumb. This is like, mm-hmm. this is dumber did, than dumb think, on dumb day. Yeah. I think the, the thing that, what, that I agree, I mean, I let a lot of that just wash over me. I'm just watching it. I'm like, okay, whatever. But the thing that I did to myself be like, mm, I don't know, was the climbing the rocket thing. I was like, wait, is that taking off? What is he doing? Yeah, like he's climbing, like, that a seems taking a off risky. <laughs> a little risky, yeah, I mean, a little risky, yeah. and and I'm, then also, do we have any reason? <laughs> I know you are, and do we have any reason why these space pirates are a thing? And like these space pirates, think about it, right? Like you never see the space pirates. Well, but they all attack him in the moon chase. On the moon, right? yeah. Oh right. But so it's in not that like chase super sequence, super obvious that it's space pirates. Uh, like they're just other guys on rovers. No, no they, yeah. they make a point about there being a, un, you know, it's a, the Wild West up there, and um, there are well, no, I know, but, no it, but it's a very ambiguous. I know you never, it's very ambiguous, but, but also think about the logic yeah. of it, right? You've got a bunch of people living outside the system who are getting replenished with supplies. How exactly? And then they're attacking rovers. The the attrition rate. They killed most of their guys. <laughs> Just trying to get to one for, for no apparent reason. Like, what was is it that just they wanted to get? I don't know Brad's autograph. Like, what was it that was so desperate that you would commit <laughs> that kind of resources to attack? Like, if he was, you know, had the the unattainium that would power their thing that would keep their base alive, that would mean that they'd be willing to sacrifice. 
But like, I mean, you know, if they're slackers, are they going to get off the couch yet alone? Well, like, maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't want him to stop the energy pulses. But but they didn't They're know about anarchist that. They didn't, pirates. But how would they even know about that, right? I don't know. Why were they attacking him at all? That's the whole that's, point. That's right? my point. This is there was no plot reason They're for it. They're just bad guys. And then also, if the <laughs> other base on the other side is this mega kind of American killer military base, how does anyone get anything to the mega uh, American killer military base if they don't can't transport between the? I mean, do they? There must be some way to get supplies to them. Like, how do they get? more of the immense amount of equipment that is at the military base. Like it's a vast amount of stuff that had to get up into space to get there. Did they build so it all I, and then like they're marooned on the moon? I, I, I totally agree with all the like the the sort of logical yeah. like <laughs> holes that you're describing. I think you're 100% like dead on. The one thing that uh, some of the sort of the, the long... Um, journeys between uh, places and some of the kind of supply things, the pirate stuff, like some of that, I, I almost felt like I could forgive it to a degree if, um, but maybe I'm sort of pre-loaded for it in a way. I don't know if you guys have ever watched that. It reminded me a lot of that show. Um, <clears throat> I think that's on, it was on Sci-Fi or maybe now it's on Amazon. Space the Station Expanse. 1999? No, The Expanse. <laughs> have you guys ever oh, seen that? Oh, The Expanse. That? Yeah, that's yeah. good. Uh, yeah. And but, it's but actually, okay. so there's there's elements of that that kind of are reminiscent of it. And then the other thing I kept thinking too, watching it and actually listening to you describe it, Mike, it really reinforces this idea. You could take this plot, this story, and you could tell this story, and it actually probably would make more sense if you set it like, you know, in the, you know, 15th century, right? And they're on like galleons, like traveling across the ocean to get yeah. from one place to the other, like engaging with pirates or something. You know, that would make a lot more sense. Um, and so to take that kind of narrative and that kind of story that's again trying to tell this kind of this personal story about sort of, um, you know, fathers and sons, I guess, in essence, right? Um, and to tell it in space is the Conceptually, it's a really interesting idea, but I think in the end, I think you, maybe it doesn't quite all come together in the way that we're uh, describing. I, <laughs> I didn't. I mean, I mean, you know, I don't. How dare Mike apply logic to a space movie? <laughs> but, uh, uh, but I didn't even get to I the think, whole energy pulse thing, right? Which makes no I, sense. I know, you I fire know. it from a yes, little ship, and it just <laughs> amplifies its way across the galaxy. And oh, by the way, they're so good that they can hit Earth in orbit while also Earth, simultaneously yeah. hitting the Moon and Mars because they're also in the same exact line of the pulses that are coming yeah. out of the thing. Well, off the, it's, a, it's a Southern Cross, you know. Didn't you see the the, the graphic yeah. that explained it? They fire it, and it just expands, yeah. and then miraculously <laughs> hits everything. Yeah, it's a space. <laughs> Everything gets amplified. Um, yeah, sure. Let's go with that. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I <laughs> did like I did like the fact that he gets all the way to space. He finally has an emotional reaction. Brad Pitt's character beyond the like I'm super calm, yeah, uh, unemotional guy, um, which oh. I guess you're supposed to assume is based on the fact that he is because of the way his father treated him or whatever that he's just compartmentalized right. and focused on whatever it is he, th he thinks he's best at. So he gets there. I did enjoy their, their scenes together. Oh yeah. Because I thought it's not, it's not what you expect to happen. He's basically like, no, I don't give a shit about you. I realized that, yes, I abandoned you, but I sort of 
it's kind of, I was like, mm, yeah, I don't really care. Uh, this is more important to me. So good luck to you. I mean, I, I um, felt like he, he was going to break into um, a man named Sue at any point, right? There was going to be this kind yeah, of Johnny well, Cash moment of I knew I wasn't going to be around to look after you, so I named you. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew that you'd have to survive and get tough or, or die. Um, I, I, I'm not criticizing the acting and I'm not criticizing the cinematography or the visual effects because I think they're yeah. glorious. But here's the thing, right? And this is my pet peeve. It's generally the writing when it comes down to these things anyway. But, but, but. but here's the thing, right? There is enormous attempt at some kind of visual authenticity. Like they try and make these things look really kind of believable and real and stuff to an extent, right? I mean, obviously in space with one giant light source, you can have pretty high con. And I never know why I see the underside of spaceships particularly well when traveling Right, <laughs> but yeah, notwithstanding that, and notwithstanding the fact that you know, um, this problem of um, you know hero lighting, the I don't know, it just like for me, there's just no way that I could sustain disbelief, and yet I was being sort of pummeled with really gorgeous, authentic-looking imagery that said we want to be taken seriously. And we want you to feel like this is like really like how it would be. Um, and yet, like, you know, at the same time, if Brad Pitt had like, I don't know, found a transporter that had, you know, dematerialized him at the other end and zoomed him back, like it would have been completely inside the realm of like scientific validity. So, so what is, what is it? Like, do you want it to be like looking like you're scientifically accurate? Like, you know, compare this to Gravity or, or some of the other films that... Right. And, and they're yep. not even that plausible, but they're like way more interesting because it makes you start thinking about the plausibility of some of the issues of like the space debris and stuff. And that's... You as, know. You're, as you're talking about it, it's, it's reminding me of like, I'm thinking about, you know when you hear a really good song and you're like, wow, that song is awesome. And someone goes, yeah, but the words are dumb. And you're like, I didn't even listen to the words. Yes. You're like, it just the yes. music is awesome. Yes. I mean, like that's sort of the... <laughs> I think that might be the parallel here. You're like, wow, this movie looks awesome. And man, the visual effects are compelling. And, and, and there is tears, like your point, like it looks great. People are acting like everyone's doing their jobs, but, but, but there were words in it. I'm, I don't remember the words. I just remember the, and the, even like, that, even know, that uh, thing with the pulse, visuals. what was the point of him being able to keep his pulse rate so low? Like that, that felt yeah, like that was going to save his life at some point. You know, that was like so I, well yeah, set up. Agreed. It was almost Agreed. like, hey, yeah, don't, we don't need that. Let's just cut it out. No one will notice. That's uh, that's yeah. That's just standard exposition. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you about you because I have no other way of somehow giving this information to the to the thing. So I'm gonna read a psychological report because that'll that'll be valid. Yeah, I don't know. I just felt like. Uh, Anyway, and, and I don't think I even believe the timeline. I don't believe that if I did the math, which I had not, I couldn't be bothered doing, that <laughs> his father would still be alive, that he would not die. Like the, the traveling times, the years it takes to 80 get... 80 days. But I mean, okay, you can say in the movie that they've developed some, you know, sort of super duper, you butte wonder thing, but he rides back on a shockwave. So I'm sorry. Like... yeah. That's going to take a while, assuming, of course, that you manage to hit a needle in the proverbial intergalactic, sp <laughs> you know. But anyway, stack. Yeah. Okay. I think that's uh, going to be your name of your autobiography, 
a needle in the intergalactic haystack. Okay, that does sound good. Um, Read that. <laughs> if I could put aside the problem I have with the writing, um, let's talk about the moon chase sequence, otherwise referred to as um, Lunar Mad Max. So what do we think about that from a visual effects point of view? Like that's a really interesting sequence. We don't see that very often. We've seen rocket ships take off and I think they do a really great job and there's nice work we might come back to, but that's a very distinctive sequence in this film that's, you know, kind of, we don't often see a chase on the moon. What do you think? I think it looks great. It, it, it reminded me a lot of, um, you know, some of those shots in uh, that film last year, First Man. Um, it kind of mm. has that same, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, we're on the moon. It has the look of being on the moon. It reminded me too a little bit of um, maybe the Duncan Jones uh, movie Moon. Which um, is an infinitely better movie <clears throat> than That's this, what I was going to say. That oh, is, yeah, like, yes, that is infinitely better movie. movie. Absolutely yeah. agree. Much better writing, better story altogether. But um, I think in the end, uh, or, or not in the end, in the sequence, I think uh, it's fun. I mean, it's so interesting, the, the rover sort of technology it's really similar to the actual moon rovers in terms of the the machinery sort of riding in this kind of open buggy kind of style vehicle they're slightly larger um you know aside from the who are these pirates and why do they want to kill them a sort of chase shootout uh, of guys in suits that can't be um hopefully aren't going to be punctured, but that are then shooting at each other on the surface of the moon is really exciting. And I, I love the the one quiet bit that they insert um, before the chaos begins where he uh, puts his hand up uh, sort of in the, you know, reaching up, uh, I guess, oh, in sort the of dust, in, the, yeah. in the dust. Yeah, and like runs his fingers through the, the dust that's being kicked up um, on the surface of the moon. And those, those kind of quiet moments... Um, I think also uh, add to the sort of believability of the sequence. And I mean, I thought overall it just, it looked really great. It was really fun to watch and visually totally engaging, even right up to the the sort of um, final moment where they go spinning off the uh, the edge yeah. of a large crater, you know, it was, it was really cool. I have to say, in my believability thing, like I totally am okay with that kind of thing. Like the the fact that it got knocked off and span and landed in a way that didn't, you know, flip. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not like arguing to to have everything in a film totally realistic in the sense of whether or not it would or wouldn't happen. That was a that was like a nice kind of and like like it's a thing that you can only do on the moon, right? Like you're going to get knocked off yes. if it's anywhere it's a, else. It's a killer set piece that we've never seen yeah. before of a shootout on the moon, you know. And I, I yeah. do like that extra danger if they just even just clip the suits that um, that you could die. That, right. That was a nice touch. Yeah, you don't have to, the, to get like a kill shot. No, it was like a, it was, yeah, there was, in and the silence, I think at the beginning, if I'm not mistaken, when they're first approaching them, there's not like the roar of an approaching gang, uh, Mad Max style. Right. It's this kind of silently they're coming in from the side, which I think is like super interesting in of its own right. Yeah, It's like... Um, um this the way they shot it was super interesting. Um it's they shot it practically in Death Valley. Uh and they shot between 32 and 36 frames a second for that uh gravitational sort of just to make everything seem slightly uh slower. Um but I think the smartest thing they did was they made it was shot on 35 mil film. Right. 
the film, but they made an over-under stereo rig with zero parallax uh, with the 35mm camera and in the over-under with uh, infrared Alexa. So they were capturing the exact same image with no parallaxes. You don't need it, but they're just using the, the benefits of the rig. And so that they could get the full color texture and, and, and sort of meat of the 35 mil, but they could get the no reflection space, black sky, you know, uh, whatever nanometer filter they used for the IR, um, to get the really high contrast stuff that you would get on the moon. And then you have the, obviously there's visual effects in the sequence, but in terms of your base principal photography and getting like, I would guess, 80% of the way there, sort of like what they did in Logan with the motion blur <laughs> stabilization thing in camera, yeah. you know, like you're going to get like a significant amount in camera and then, yeah, there's going to be rocks and dust and space and, and all that stuff and probably augmentations to the moon rovers and whatever, but you have some serious in camera photography. And I think that's, that's, I mean, a super smart solution, but also in death Valley, Obviously, you're going to get the terrain to be close, but also the you know you're going to have just a crazy amount of just you know light with no no you know trees, bushes, you know nothing to cast another shadow. Yeah, yeah, I think it's an incredibly bright way to shoot it. Um, you're effectively shooting it twice and and getting kind of this amazing in-camera VFX pass almost, aren't you? Yeah. Um, Live, I think the um, destruction sequence when the second or third rover hits the um, uh, solar panels is also really mm-hmm. nice. Like it's very cinematic. It's very kind of without, without like it lets it play out. I think the thing I really like about the cinematography is it doesn't just quickly cut away, even in an action sequence. Like you get a beat to appreciate it. Yeah. It's not like cut, 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 so that we get the energy from the editing. It's more like um, let it play out from the staging almost. Because like that really big high shot, um, which is the sort of classic Mad Max, let's understand that, mm-hmm. you know, where things are coming from. The, is it two or three on, well, anyway, there's like I think three of the good guys initially and about two or three of the um, baddies that come in. But like that's great. Like it's it's great to sort of not have to kind of make it like where are they, we can't tell, you can't tell as the audience, oh, surprise jump. It's more like here it comes, we've right. got nowhere to hide, here it comes, you know, we're going to play this out. Well, again, since most of the movie is tight or fairly tight, mm. when you get to the, when you get a nice wide shot, you're like, you feel it. You know yeah. I mean, like it's something different in the visual language so far and especially like a high wide. Um, but, uh, you know, Hoyt Van Hoytema shot this, who also shot Interstellar. And so they're, I like it when DPs take a different tack on a project that seems redundant, even though this one isn't interstellar, but there are, you could draw parallels in how you would shoot it. You know, he could easily have been like, we're going to shoot this in IMAX and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But he consciously made the decision to make it a more personal film shoot on 35. You don't need the big expanse of IMAX, even though I saw it in IMAX. Um, you know, um, so, uh, I, you know, I just just to point that out that it, it, it's nice to see someone approach, reapproach, you know, what could be considered a similar film in a different way and give it a different look and a different pass. Um, although I think they did do one 
um, camera attached to ship shot, uh, which I mean, people did before Interstellar, but they sort of they sort of nailed yeah. it down on that one. Here's something really interesting at a super simple level. If you look at a clip from that um, sequence of the rover attack, and I don't know if Matt, you sort of like want to talk about this, but in my understanding, classical film theory has going from left to right is the you know the hero's journey out, and then coming home is right to left. In that sequence, they start out from the left of frame, driving to the right to get to the, and then halfway through the attack, without. I mean, it crosses the line, but it doesn't like cross the line in a bad way. Like it moves around so that now all the vehicles are going from camera right to camera left, which is how it it ends when the the rover guy goes flying off the edge of that uh, thing. The the whole action is now moving camera right to camera left, which I thought was super interesting um, because you know you don't do that kind of stuff by accident. You don't have half of the chase from right to left and half the chase from left to right. Well, and arguably too, like thematically, that would make a lot of sense if you if you had that as a kind of a waypoint in the narrative. Even though it's pretty early on, it's the beginning of a suggestion that um, <clears throat> maybe he's he is transitioning from this sort of heroic figure going out on this quest on this journey, and he does become, I guess, uh, in many ways, sort of an antihero. He becomes. Uh, which I think is part of one of the themes of the story too, is that he he sort of he does become his father in a way, right? Like, I mean, he he literally winds up, um, you know, not uh, necessarily because that's what he wants to have happen, but everybody else on board the ship that he's traveling on from Mars to get to uh, Neptune, uh, <laughs> they meet with a sort of unfortunate demise. Uh, because of his uh, intervention and because of his um, need to go there. So he does sort of become the thing that he's trying to decide if he is or isn't, you know, throughout the narrative. So, I mean, that would kind of tie in with that too, I think. Yeah. I think I, think I so loved the film The Martian, which just... Um, yeah, that's sort another of, great example too. It's so there's so many similarities to that. I think also. Yeah, it's one man alone, but in that one there was a tremendous plot of both, you know, drama moving forward and these kind of plausible moments where you went, oh yeah, you'd have to solve that problem, or oh yeah, that's a that's a good idea to get you to the next bit. Um, it wasn't a cheat to the audience that you know. I mean, I think. There are some cheats you can live with cinematically. Like when he has the a magic parachute that appears when he falls at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like that's a cinematic, you know, they don't tell you he's got a, par- a parachute. It's just, you know, that's sort of like a reveal that you can live with. But in the in later in the, you know, in the film, in like the Martian stuff, they don't do sort of he suddenly finds the thing that makes all these problems go away. You know, he has to work at it and then they kind of click in. I felt in this one, like he wasn't working very hard to get his quite complicated solutions to near impossible problems in the last half of the film in particular. Um, you know, I just... Yeah, and I, and I, think, I think those mechanical plot issues too, like, you know, the, uh, they when you're watching a movie like this in you know we've I think we've established like it's beautiful like it's beautifully photographed like 
it's it's really just rich to watch. Like every frame of this movie is so interesting uh, to look at it. Whether it's just you know close-ups of the actors' faces or some of the vistas or some of the the sets or set extensions um, and environments that they're shooting in, they're amazing looking. The visual effects are, I think, really consistently strong. Like I don't know that I could pick out a shot that. Um, in the whole show that doesn't work from a visual effects standpoint. But I think with all of these also issues... Also the technology language, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, all that stuff is like good. It, didn't, but it wasn't super futuristic. It was all, it felt, you know... Yeah, it feels like, yeah, the technology all felt plausible. Yeah. You know, they weren't, they didn't have some yeah. crazy, like, new propulsion system. It's still, like, you know, yeah. shitty, like, you Boosters. know, liquid yeah. rocket fuel or whatever, <laughs> or solid rocket fuel or whatever they use. But, um... You know, and so all that is really interesting, I think, but the it's hard to go deep and be really deeply engaged when all the other pieces, the mechanical pieces, the story pieces that make it an engaging movie, the depth of character and stuff that they just don't ever really connect. And I feel like that's it's such a shame because it's it's there's so many other things that are working cinematically to have that story and character piece never really quite fire on all cylinders, I think is really um, just too bad. And so it does make some of those other things just, even though they look cool, you're sort of like, hmm, yeah, okay. You know. Can we can we talk about the opening sequence that that's you referenced, say, Yeah, that's, that's yeah, our, yeah. Uh, the, um, Mike, the full. I, I, interestingly, to your point about the high wide in the moon, giving you sense of where you are, you didn't really know where he was in the beginning. I thought he was in, I mean, he was in space, but like a low, a low orbit space on a, on a giant, like, I don't know, structure that went all the way to the ground. Yeah. Like a, right? like one of those, like a space like elevator a, kind of thing. Or yeah. Something. That's what yeah, I was basically. reading. It um, I, I, thought it was interesting that the way you figured out what it was was when he was falling. Right. They, they did some really high shots, but you were kind of like, I mean, he, because of the perspective, you were like, is it touching the earth or is it just in low earth yep. orbit or some yeah. futuristic thing? And then when he falls, you're like, oh, fuck. And they do all that great um, occlusion stuff of like ladders and, you know, things in front of him. And then he's falling between like the rails they're using as a frame for him and everything. I just thought that was shot really well, which of course uh, ties into the visual effects that were, that were, you know, added in because obviously they weren't in, you know, the thing doesn't exist. So. And, and, and the spinning, you know, like the, the yeah. falling and spinning really. Well, it reminded me of the, what's it called? The Felix. Yeah. The Red Bull guy. Uh, Baumgartner or whatever the yeah. guy jumped out of the thing. The platform. Which ironically space, was shot yeah. with like four red cameras. You know what I mean? So like uh it it um they had a, they had reference for that. Interesting. Yeah. I mean when he steps out and looks down, it looked exactly like that dude when yeah. he did that. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like um and he had the same problem. You know, he had that spin that he slowly you know corrected himself on and picked up the Picked up the the pace, you know. Uh, up, you know, the stabilized himself. Yeah. Um, so that's I, what makes like, me crazy. Oddly, There's I so thought, so many great ideas that go into the making yeah. of this story, and like, it, yeah. this was just. I so want to like this movie, and I just can't get myself over that hurdle. 
Well, can yeah. I just say if you? I think I was mesmerized by the. Uh, yeah, the I don't think it's an. Yeah. Un, I don't think it's a. Like I think it's implausible beyond belief, but I don't think it's uh, not pleasant to watch, and I don't think it's an. Yeah. You know, an unpleasant experience going to it. Like, I didn't come out feeling like I'd been ripped off or anything. I guess my concern was more like it. I, I really wanted to like this film a lot. And I mm-hmm. did like the visuals a lot. I just felt like that's going to make it not have a long shelf life. You know, yeah. it's not like we're going to look back on this. Oh, it's, no. And say, wow, what a, that was just such an epically great film. Because no. for me, you need that dimension of the incredibly strong visuals and kind of breathtakingly sort of stunning stuff. And then something to think about, like something yeah. to kind of ponder. Like I got, even from The Martian, and that's not like an art film, but you know. You expect in it like a lot of films that are a bit more on the slow-paced, um, you know, not just trying to be a uh, a popcorn film, that they'll give you something really to think about, you know, and there'll be some, yeah, I mean, that's some the deeper gray. philosophical. I mean, I mean yeah. the, the, the gray is the perfect example of all of this because the, the, they're fighting wolves. It ends with Liam Neeson punching a wolf for more all intents and purposes, right? But... But the whole movie is an art movie about loss and family and whatever. And they do those beautiful sequences with the sheets, you know, him and his wife and the sheet. And then you get to reveal at the end that she had cancer. You know, he wasn't just missing her. And then the whole thing with his dad and the poem, uh, you know, it's just it, that gave you, you walked out of that movie like you sat in that theater when the movie was done and you were like, shit, you know, like I got some shit to th- figure out. You know what I mean? Uh, emotionally. And, and, and that isn't that doesn't happen here. Which, and I think they probably wanted it to be there. That at the end you'd be like, "Wow!" And he went and found his dad. And what does it all mean? And whatever. And at the end you're just kind of like, "Whoa, that looked Nothing. cool." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did love that they 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 produced a visual authenticity in the shots. Like, I loved that there weren't lights in the helmet because that's my you know other pet yep. peeve. Yeah. We're going to put lights in the helmet, but it'll shine in your eyes so that the act, the audience can see your face. But of course, if I'm in deep space with dark things around me, someone shining a bunch of lights in my face inside my helmet would not be very helpful. Um, Even in that moon in that moon sequence, the gold kind of reflective surface, yeah, and even that was a nice touch. And as you got closer to the actor, you could sort of see through it. I was actually wondering. I don't don't know if you guys know this. I haven't. I looked to see if I could find any information about it. But were all of those? I mean, some of those must have been like sort of gravity style shots, right? Where they had like the suit, but the suit was CG, and they're inserting a. A face in there. I mean, is, oh, maybe are they doing any of that know. kind of stuff in this show? Because I mean, that's what that's what I was thinking watching it. It's like, oh, that's kind of like a riff on what we, something we've kind of seen before, and oh, this looks really good. But maybe their actual suits. Well, like, it could be or some combination of it the could two. Be, it could be that since they did practical, you know, photography, that mm-hmm. they had a Russian arm on it. They're shooting slightly higher speed. They push in on the helmet. You're not going to get an actual, you know. There's no way you're going to, without tons of polas and shit, you know, right. pushing through and getting that hero shot. It's possible that they shot him and then inserted his real face into a practical shot, you know. Yeah. Um, just for the push in or the visor, you know. I mean, but yeah. it's just it's uh, those are things I'd love to read about. I'm sure like, there's tons of, of CG in it. Yeah. 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 Um, when you said helmet design, though, the, the, 
uh, in terms of practicality like instead of lights. The helmets that all that I always go back to that I thought were was really interesting choices. The helmets in space, uh, helmets in sunshine, because they're out working by the sun and they basically have slits, like welder's mask slits. Right. So like they can barely see anything. They have like you know like a forty to one ratio of a of a image. And their thing, and they're like looking around, and they do all those inside the helmet shots, and you're like, "Fuck, they can't see anything." There's like this tiny slit. It's not like a whole helmet full of glass or whatever. Uh, you know, that to me felt authentic because that's probably what you would have to do working, you know, near the sun if that was even plausible. Yeah. Uh, so Halon did the um, previews on the bunch of stuff, including the drop sequence that we were talking about with the. Um, uh, at the beginning, um, a bunch of visual effects companies contributed. I'm pretty sure I'm saying that Weta did the ape in space, which we'll probably talk about next. Um, uh, but there was like, uh, like it, this wasn't like a, a tour de force of just one company uh, doing stuff. There was like quite a lot of yeah. um, stuff. MPC did a lot of the a really interesting um, space work, which is the next thing I want to talk about after the ape, which is like the taking off of ships and the kind of stuff which. And those ships seemed really plausible to me and exactly mm-hmm. what you wanted. Um, yeah. And yeah, so it's like a bunch of companies contributing. Let's, um, let's discuss some of those individual sequences that are coming from individual companies. And away from my what the freaking heck was an ape doing in space and the whole <laughs> sort of like, does anyone else just think space monkeys is just ridiculous? But I mean, at an execution level, in the moment, it was scary as all get out, and quite frankly, I don't want my face bitten off by a giant ape. Um, and I've got to say, the filming of that sequence, uh, when he's trying to work out why the station is dead and like this, or not the ship, I think it should say, is and there's no one there, and yet you know there's something going on and like what's happening, and I, I thought it was well shot and well constructed, and the zero gravity stuff all worked for me. Just scared the bajillions out of me having a giant ape as a jump scare, but it looked pretty real. I mean, I thought the reveal of it was great because you have the guy like you see his back yeah. and he's like shaking and you're like, what the hell is happening? And he's calling his name and he gets close and then the, and you're like, oh shit, space baboons, you know, like. Did you know um, about the film enough to know that there weren't either aliens or some other dimensional thing? Like I didn't know anything about the plot, so I wasn't even I sure. I did not know. I did not know anything about the plot. I don't think I ever thought there would be aliens. Although, oddly, when they said you have to go find the source of this thing, source of this pulse, I honestly, and this is weird, I don't know, maybe they just didn't sell it well enough. I honestly never found myself thinking throughout the movie, I wonder what's making that pulse. Right. I mean, like I just assumed, because they say it in the first act, he has the, whatever it's called, Lazarus or whatever, no, Lazarus is the sunshine, whatever the name of the thing was yeah the lima um, project oh lima right which is yeah. like what a bean like when or some or is it you know <laughs> don't, don't, go like, there. What are we, don't go there yeah <laughs> not sure what we're talking about here but anyway it was an antimatter <laughs> pulse that oh, increased be a lima space. bean but i guess but uh yeah anyway uh uh but uh anyway uh they say, you know, he took the ship and he was supposed to do something. Nobody knows what he was supposed to do. It was just the Lima project. And he didn't do it or he died or something. And there's, his ship is doing something. And I, maybe I just felt like, in retrospect, they just explained it in the first act. Like, 
no, something's happening. You just got to go figure it out. Mm-hmm. But there was never, like to your point, Mike, there was never any intimation of, of, of extraterrestrial nature or anything, even though they did make the point about his father saying, you know, oh, you know, like he was a big proponent of finding life, you know, uh, in the solar system. And they obviously talk about that when he gets there and he's like, you know, I didn't find anything and I still got stuff to do because they're out there. And he's like, no, I don't think so. Um, which is interesting because that's one of the first, you know, movies like that to not, to just basically be like, no, we're it. You know what I mean? Uh, so, um, so Matt, what was your, what was your thoughts on the actual visual effects of the ape? Oh, I thought it was great. I mean, I, uh, I saw, um, uh, the talk at Seagraph where they talked about um, <clears throat> uh, Chris White from Weta was talking about the work they did on uh, Umbrella Academy, and um, yeah, it was a great, it was a great talk. It's really fun. It's all the Netflix shows, and um, you know, Weta clearly has like you know the the ape uh, CG ape <laughs> logic down like to they, I mean they like have nobody's a business on it, they? Yeah. and I thought it it just looked really cool and I totally agree the reveal was great and it was it had a I mean the baboon just in particular as a as a, a facial structure and the sort of the, mm-hmm. the big teeth and stuff it's probably one of the most frightening looking um, uh of the monkeys, I guess is it a monkey or an ape? I can't. I gotta look in my uh, old anthropology books or something. But um, I thought it looked really good, and I, it was uh, appropriate level of menace. I just wish it had again. You know, I just wish there was more to that piece, that part of the story. I mean, it sort of sets up his ability to. Um, you know, kind of wind up taking over um, and <laughs> eliminate the rest of the crew. I guess, right? Is that or is that the second part of no, the no, journey? The I can't part. remember. Okay. The ape they lose the captain. Right. The ape loses the captain. He comes back, brings him back, um, and they like land on. Says, and then, that's yeah, before no. they get to Mars, right? And that's the and then the. That's the why I'm like, why toast. are they why are they doing this experiment somewhere between the moon and Mars? That makes no sense. But having yeah. said that, yes, they land on Mars. Now they're going to take off from Mars and he gets on the ship and during the struggle of him boarding, everybody dies. Well, and even, even the, the way in which he's able to sort of um, eliminate the baboon by moving from one uh, you know, mm-hmm. part of the, the vehicle to another area or whatever and then to sort of the decompression, I guess, right, is the, what we're supposed yeah. to believe yeah. has happened. It's like the outland um, <laughs> that old yep. Sean Connery Outland movie, um, mm-hmm. where the you know it expands and blows up, and it, it's kind of a, a great end to the sequence because it's so grotesque. And um, but it, I thought it looked really Final. good. I mean, I, you didn't really get a, a, a very long look at the uh, um, creature. I guess you do see it at one point when he, he pushes off and he's sort of lunging towards him. But it's yeah. always in really quick shortcuts um, that we see it. But it was there more than one? No. Well, not. Yes. not I feel no. like no. He was he was oh, attacking okay. the guy. He then jumps at Brad. Yeah. Brad gets in, gets out of the yeah. way enough to seal him in the compartment. Then the guy's gonna the right. monkey guy. What am I trying to say? The baboon <laughs> is trying to uh, accidentally un, uh, not accidentally, deliberately um, open the door with the handle rattling. <laughs> That's going to be the title yeah. of my autobiography, Monkey Guy. Yeah, deliberate Monkey, deliberate yeah. Monkey Guy. 
Um, so, so now let's talk about art department, art direction and production design for a second on the ships because I want to contrast it with something else. So I thought that the that the production design of the way the ships and stuff looked was great. Like it was, uh, as we've discussed, it needed to be kind of plausible to a tech not too far away. But by the same token, yeah. not look like, well, we just reused a couple of Apollo uh, rockets and, you know, not invented anything new because clearly they could land. Um, yeah. Bunch right. of reference, obviously, with the current sort of uh, Space program with and yeah, exactly, Blue Origin yeah. and all that stuff. And I felt they were heavily influencing it, but that's probably appropriate, right? Because that's in the zeitgeist, and so mm-hmm. it's, it's good production design, I think, to tap into that. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I think I was mentioning that earlier when I interrupted Matt, but um, it 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 like I think you summarized it like it it had the realistic sort of not retro, but like what most people think of, because you don't see a lot of the internals of modern rockets. Most of the stuff you see are movies about Apollo and other things. You you get sort of a slightly older thing. Certainly Star Wars is a huge influence on people just because, you know, the, 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 you know, um, history of the future uh, or the past rather as Star Wars does it, you know, has influenced a lot of stuff, 2001, what have you. So I think they, uh, even uh, Prospect, which uh, we should actually do on this show, which was a really awesome space movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, the production design, um, I thought, you never really questioned it. You never saw something that you were like, I don't know what that is. Everything looked like what it was supposed to be with its own flair and it had just enough of its own design to be their flair, but it didn't have to be like, we invented something in this movie that is this, you know, again, to reference sunshine, you know, they have a, they have a deck with a huge, you know, whatever polarized screen so they can sit and stare at the sun and they can, you know, vary it for some reason and, you know, fry themselves if they want to, you know, make it wide open. Uh, That's something no one's seen on a ship before. Like that's unique to that movie. And in this movie, I think it seemed like they sort of stuck with the standard um, rocket from the sixties, seventies, but modernized uh, enough to be plausible that it was, you know, the not too distant future. Um, so I, I mean, I I dug all the suits. You know that they weren't these futuristic suits. They felt like space suits. I mean, like real spacesuits and whatever. Like, what? I mean, apart from the fact that I had no reason on on Earth for Donald Sutherland to exist in this movie, um, (laughs) the um, yeah, like they everybody looked like in place and looked like they sort of made sense in the environment, and then the rockets all made sense. There's one that just didn't gel for me. That was that was really odd from a production design point of view. Now they shot in a disused. I think either like a train station or a thing. Like uh, anyway, for the the uh, main um, uh, rocket station, and and that was great. Oh yeah. But but when they went to record his audio, it was absurd to me oh. that he was in this weird yeah, room. Yeah, that he would. Yeah. Because if I did miss a plot point, they were just sending his audio, and we can do pretty good audio. Oh, I don't know, on a podcast right now. So yeah. why do you have to sit in a magical room with magical stuff? I saw it again as like a, I, I totally agree. I actually thought I thought the same thing. I was like, wow, this 
that's quite a, a dead room like that. <laughs> They've yeah. got a lot of control over the audio in there. Yeah. But it actually, uh, I actually think that one of the things, I believe one of the things the filmmakers are doing is they're, they're, they're paying homage to a lot of different science fiction films that they really like. And that sequence, it looks like the interior of the spaceship in Nicholas Rogue's uh, Man Who Fell to Earth with David Bowie, where there's a scene where they go, him and Rip Torn are inside of... Uh, David Bowie's uh, spacecraft, and it's the same thing. It's a bunch of sound, uh, you know, deadening uh, walls uh, inside the inside of a spaceship, and I just felt like it was the same thing. Like, it, it didn't make sense. Like, it was ridiculous. I totally agree, but it just felt like it was a, a way to, again... it didn't even seem like a really cool production design. Like, it didn't seem like... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, it, it, it felt was sort kind of, of like, budge. Yeah, it felt like a budget kind of setup. Yeah, where they're, it was they're like doing ADR we, and they're like, also, hey, maybe we can dress this space. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. exactly what it <laughs> yeah. felt like. And, you know, some of yeah. the other stuff looked great. I mean, obviously, Helen, who ran the space station, has no point being in this film either because she clearly, like Donald Sutherland, mm-hmm. for, you know, makes the dumbest choices. But leaving out these plot points, art production didn't do that. Art department, production design, that seemed to be really consistent. And then you suddenly hit this weird audio room, which just didn't. But again, for you, for us who are technical people and know what that room is, it's you're seeing a, a modern uh, terrestrial, you know, visual language break into, you know, a, another, another, you know, slightly futuristic thing. But for people who don't know what that is, which is the majority point. of the mm-hmm. you know, population, they mm-hmm. just see, oh, that looks technical. You know I mean, that well, seems like someplace where he would have to record a space message. But, you know what I mean? But Even I, though in I Interstellar they you, do it in their living rooms. You yeah, know, but, but I grant that they might need to have a reason for isolating him so that you know he feels isolated in the room and alone. I get that visually. And I even get that um, most people wouldn't know that that was just sound stuff from a you know, semi- renovated sort of ADR suite. But but I still don't feel like it's in treating the audience with intelligence to say, oh, magic happens because we have to go into a special room to record audio with no sense of like any justification for this whatsoever. It just well, makes you feel so the only dumb. other the, the only other thing you could say if you really wanted to argue the point, I'm going to argue on the side of the filmmakers for a second, is this is a super secret mission and you're the, you're the guy who's got to go do this. So maybe they have to put him in like a, you know, a classified room or something to, you know, nobody can hear anything. Nobody can, this is, this message is only for Tommy Lee Jones and the people in the room. I don't know if okay. you wanted to argue I, I, that yeah, on your panel for, somewhere. Where on does a that film, come in with you know? the fact that they're on a military base on the other side of the moon? I mean, we're not like doing this in, in Vegas or LA no, where someone might I'm, walk I'm, in. I'm uh I'm, I'm, uh, you're generously some, uh, trying to, uh, find I'm a generously reason for trying <laughs> to answer the way you would sitting on a panel in a, in a theater after your screening answering questions about your movie. Okay. <laughs> I, I, by the way, the actress that played, the actress that played Helen, the girl that, you know, who's born um, up there and only been back to earth once. Like, I Ruth, think she's, she, Ruth yeah, she's Nega, right. I think. Yeah. What's she been in? Yeah. Lately? She's really good. He, I was actually going to say, too, you know, when you talk about um, the art direction and the production design overall, I do think I would totally concur. The rockets and stuff, I think, are great. The moon base uh, is really cool, and the moon base exterior that we see once or twice is great. The landing pads are really cool. 
Um, the Martian exterior looks great. A lot of the inside of the spaceships looks really good too. I thought that mm-hmm. really was excellent. The um, things that were strange, I thought were, oh, but I but I kind of I kind of dug it. But like the Martian interior spaces, so where we see her walking. And it, yeah. it felt kind of almost Blade Runner-ish, where she's that, walking that, with him through yeah. the hallway, and the hallway kind of lights up, and then it goes dark, and then it's kind of red, and the colors kind of change in that long hollow hallway with all these sort of pillars on either side. Um, and we're sort of isolated in their, in their scenes together where they're talking in that kind of space. That was really interesting, but it was so different as a visual language which maybe is cool because it's Mars, and so you're like, oh, Mars is different, you know? <laughs> I don't know, but uh, the, so those the, were the interesting actress, choices uh, from an art direction actress standpoint. Played, the actress who played Helen is Ruth Nega. Yeah. She was the lead, female lead in Loving. She was in, she was Reina in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for five years. Okay. She was in World War Z, Preacher for three years, uh, Warcraft. Spinning some stuff. I don't know. Maybe I just I just thought in this film she, you know, I thought she looked. I thought she seemed really interesting, and mm-hmm. um, and her backstory was interesting. Um, and I just liked her on screen. I liked those sequences on screen, with the exception of the soundproof yeah. room. I just thought that was a totally <laughs> believable, um, interesting kind of play. Like they those rooms again, the art direction, the rooms with the projected waves and butterflies and stuff. Just seemed mm-hmm. like a really nice, yeah. Someone would do this kind of patronizing kind of this would make you feel calm thing, and stick you in yeah. a room with with projectors on every wall. Like that was good. Um, it just suddenly fell into a um, a, a yeah, weirdly, that was... oddly bad decision over the audio room. Mm-hmm. I thought the I thought the now that you bring it up the like non hollow deck hollow deck room. Mm. Uh, was cool because they didn't try to sell you on the fact that it's some AI hologram room. Yep. It's just a bunch of screens. Yeah, like it was very obvious it was a bunch of screens, but like kind of doesn't matter because it's you're like, well, I'd kind of be down to be in a room full of screens like that. But, uh, yeah. but um, but yeah, I, I, I it, room, again, it has that. The room didn't look wrong. What? It, it looked like a bunch of projectors, no, no, but it, it didn't you, look. I know what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, it didn't fine, look like it because it, it's. Y- you believe that's what it was meant to look like. Hide. Yeah, you don't yeah. have to hide that it's projectors. That's their technology. It yeah, doesn't exactly. have to be, you know, it's the George Lucas rule. Just make, yeah. it get, just make it different enough. It doesn't have to be so different that the audience has to spend time figuring out what it is because then you're going to lose them in the plot. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't always follow that rule, but, you know, hey. So so uh, so then we have the, the actual um, uh, Neptune stuff. And I just want to get there because I think it's interesting. One of you guys made this really good point earlier, which is we don't tend to go to planets in our solar system. Mm-hmm. And if we do, we always go to Mars and obviously yeah. the moon on historical things. And I just thought, well, that's kind of interesting. It also wasn't Saturn. You know, like normally if you're yeah. going to go to some place, um, it's going to be maybe, you know, like in a lot of Star Star Trek, they'll come back to our solar system and be outside the rings of Saturn because it's an obvious kind of mm-hmm. visual um yeah I thought it I thought that was a good sequence and and visually great apart from the you know jumping off the rotating thing with my um piece of uh <laughs> shield 
shield and being asteroid shields. Yeah, and being <laughs> Astro Iron Man um, bumping through stuff. Of course, you know, my, my, I'm like, I'm like, there's a fundamental law of physics that you know, would come into play here. You would just you would just slow down because there's nothing propelling you, um, unless he has magic suit. Well, that he had the. Well, no, he had the like uh, slight propellant on his suit. Oh, so he's full on Iron he, Man then. No, no, there was a couple of scenes where he was like, psh, 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 and like pushing himself. Yeah. It was super subtle. Like you could just see it yeah. come out the back. He did like a. And there's an thing. audio so, cue for I thought, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's very subtle, but it's okay. not enough to maybe drive him the whole way, but it's enough to keep him in a, in a direction. But I like that they only did the one gratuitous ship by the planet shot. It was like, what was it, uh, Jupiter? Hmm. Uh, or oh, Venus, right. I can't uh-huh. remember. Yeah, they go. Uh, I, they, they, the, you see Jupiter and Saturn, actually. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they just do the, the one big, wide, tiny ship, and you're like, okay, because I mean, hey, if I made that movie, I'd be like, we need at least one or two awesome space shots with a tiny ship. Like, yeah, we're going to do it. Someone figure out which planet because we're going <laughs> to. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I did. I did like you know. The rings of Neptune, and they kind of do that. That they do a little like camera dolly shot. It comes up and over the rings. You see, see them in in uh, past their plane. You go from under the plane to the top of the plane. Yeah, yeah, uh, that was which cool. was nice. You know, just to feel it. I wonder why they picked Neptune. Uh, I mean, Neptune's like if we assume that Pluto is still a planet for a second, it's the second last one in the rings. Like it's it was you know like it's. Way further than Mars. Probably, it's just different. I was you know, thinking there must be know, some. Make it on Neptune. I, I don't know my um, my Greek philosophy. Uh, is, is Neptune Greek mm. or Roman? I can't uh, remember. I think it's Greek under the sea, right? Neptune. Yeah, and then Poseidon, it and, Poseidon and Neptune are the same, yeah. right? And but uh, yeah. I, I kept trying to think if there was a um, a myth that was connected to Neptune as the father and the Neptune, who's Neptune's son. And I don't know. I, I I didn't really do any digging, but I kept thinking that while I was watching it that like oh, I should I should go well, and I can, do a little I can digging tell you around. That he is in fact he's the Roman god of the sea, the brother of Pluto and Jupiter. Guess what? Surprise, surprise. Mm. Okay, um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. Those were the things I kept thinking, and you know, and it's it, also it's also apparently the only planet in the solar system found by mathematical prediction rather than observation. Huh. So maybe there's some. It's you know, it's a long way thing. out, right? Like it's it's not you know yeah it's uh, now whether or not they just thought you know you'd have snickering over Uranus or whether they just thought that it wasn't interesting <laughs> enough to have, you know, or too predictable for Saturn or, I mean, I would have thought maybe Venus or something would be just like a, a safer bet. Well, um, Neptune is the last planet if you agree with the demotion of Pluto from planet Which we don't. Status, we totally right? don't agree with that. That is just yeah. not, you can't <laughs> yeah. possibly agree with that. So, yeah, I mean... I thought it was a cool choice. Like, you know, why, why not? Like, I, I, I'd be curious yeah. to do a little digging to see uh, if they were trying to weave something else into the plot there that maybe I'm just a little too ignorant of my um, my I mean, mythology to recognize. But I think uh, that would make it really interesting because that kind of the thing at the end of the film, right, where it's like we're all we've got, you know, the sort of realization that, you know, it's not about... Uh, <clears throat> 
this search for other life that there's nothing else out there and that that sort of becomes the it would have uh, to be the humanist ins- element of the movie it would have to be insanely cold on Neptune right because it's so mm-hmm. far out so mm-hmm. inverse square law being what it is it's so far out it's got to be like an ice planety kind of thing and i just didn't get like it didn't it feel is. like it's ice with rock yeah so it didn't feel like it was that that was a thing, like that they would. Oh, it was Neptune because the the ice and the thing and the cold and that's you know that's a thing. It was just it could have been Jupiter, it could have been Neptune. Let's do Jupiter. Uh, let's do Neptune. I don't know. There's a, just a, always to me felt like maybe there was a bit more here that I wasn't kind of getting or had got cut in the edit or like almost like maybe there was some logic to this in the book that they based it on or the original pitch document. It just felt like some of the stuff was hanging around and it was no longer justified in the context of this film. And maybe someone will come out with a director's cut or something and it'll be like, oh, I get it. Oh, I see. Well, also, we don't know how much, you know, you know, we don't know how much um, other forces came into play on the film you know, once it's shot, there's always, sure. you know, sometimes an actor puts in, you know, their two cents. Ed Norton is famous for that, you know. Uh, and he does his own cuts of the movies and all sorts of stuff, you know. So it's like, it's possible other people got involved and for better or for worse, we don't know. Um, but, you know, it's but, Hollywood. But, but you know what I mean? Like there, like there are these thematic things that we've discussed and there are these sort of weird things that make no sense in the movie. Yeah. Like why do you have to fly domestic to the moon when we uh, <laughs> got a whole yeah, space Yeah, they never force? really did explain like why. Like he's undercover and then you get there so and the most, like, yeah, he's no longer undercover. <laughs> undercover, yeah. And also why did Donald Sutherland have to be there again? I'm sorry. But um, yeah, but anyway, I just feel like some of this stuff, I've got to believe that there was a reason that they did it. I just... Didn't get it in the film, yeah. Um, but but from a visual point of view, which is why I brought up this ice thing, is it just felt like um, I didn't buy into any particular reason that that was at the outer rim of our, you know, solar system. Like it didn't feel like that was anything particularly different than Mars or or the Moon, where they are incredibly different in like uh, distance to the sun and heat and and everything else. Do you know what I mean? Like like I think there was color. I, mean, I think there was color difference. I think the only the only thread you could pull would be, you know, Tommy, Tommy Lee Jones, the father character, obsessed with finding other uh, life in the universe. And if you were at the edge of our solar system, you would have a, you know, deeper reach, yep. potentially more unobstructed reach into the void, as it were. Well, they actually do know. say that at one point, that it was out of yeah. the sun's, like, uh, whatever, the magnetosphere or something. I can't remember what. Oh, really? Yeah, they do mention. There's a line that that's why they're that far out. Okay. Oh, I missed that. Okay, so um, so I just want to loop back. You mentioned a film <laughs> earlier. I don't remember what it was. I think it was Prospect. I don't know this mm-hmm. film. What, what what have oh, I missed? Yeah. Oh, uh, Prospect is stars Pedro Pascal, J. Duplass, and I can't remember the. Uh, a bunch of other uh, people, but I can't remember the actress's name. A, a young, uh, who's great, girl. by the way. She's really good in it. Yeah. Oh, you watched it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was shot by um, these guys that I know uh, peripherally on on um, Facebook. So- in Sophie Seattle. Thatcher is her name. Yeah, Sophie Thatcher. Yeah. Um, it's basically like Deadwood in space. Like Pedro Pascal is is it's the milchiest. 
space movie ever. <laughs> um, and it's just, you know, it's just people, it's a, like Wild West. They're prospecting for this alien goo, you know, and they go to, it's shot in the woods in Seattle. And it just looks, you know, they did a really good job on, you know, on a budget uh, yep. with production design, visual effects, you know, practical um practical ships and weapons and their visual language is uh beautiful and they have a um I'll have to remember the um name of the company but they founded a company that sort of inherited all of the unused props and production design and in Seattle they had like a like a art exhibit of all the production design that didn't make it into the movie huh. uh I think it's called like Taka unlimited or something like that, that, um, was super cool. Like they spent, they did their homework and it is super original without being, uh, like I said, unrecognizably futuristic. I was just going to say, it's a great, like indie low budget sci-fi movie yeah. that is very smartly executed. Like they, they know what their yeah. limitations are budget wise and they put together like a really fun, compelling story. They got great actors, so, uh, great actors. It actually characters. has a story? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's a no, fantastic it's, story. It's, it's, it reminds me, not in terms of the story components, but it's a great low-budget sci-fi movie in the way, and an even lower budget than Moon, which I think Moon's budget was around yeah. $5 million, and this is definitely less than that, um, I think. But uh, it it's a... It's great. It's really worth a watch. Okay. It's on a bunch of streaming services, I think, right now. Yeah, too, so. I saw it at I saw it at South by Southwest like two years ago. Okay. Um, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was awesome. Those dudes are going to make um, Zeke and Earl was the DP and co director, and um, I'm blanking on the other director's name, but they're going to make some great shit. Yeah, three point nine sure. million dollars was the budget supposedly. So yeah, just under four. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And I would bet that there was I would bet that there was a healthy above the line with uh you know some of the other some of the actors. Mm-hmm. Not that they would, you know, but actors have their things. But I mean I love Pedro Pascal and he yeah. he is really really good in this. The Mandalorian. Excellent. Yeah. <clears throat> Excellent. I can't wait for Mandalorian. Hey, um yeah. It, we're coming out of time, but uh, it's been great chatting. I, I'm sorry that I'm the downer on the show that uh, is outraged over the plot. But <laughs> it's I, usually I, Matt. So, I did like the so visuals. You're, you're good. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so if you disagree with me, once in a while. There you go. You don't want everyone agreeing with him. I was listening to you guys talk at the beginning. I'm like, are we talking about the same film? Like, you're like, and I was like, oh, oh wait, oh, wait. Jason's going to throw to Matt, and he's going to rip it to shreds before I can. And then you were like, no, nah, on the whole, I thought it was pretty good. And I was like, yeah. what? We call that the Scott Pilgrim I mean, effect. It, it wasn't as bad as Interstellar. <laughs> oh my god! Just leave it yeah, alone. See, Interstellar- there's the flip. There's the flip. <laughs> see, Interstellar had incredibly good visuals, and and like when they did things, it made you think about it. like when they went down the planet and there was a gravity thing and that changed time. That was super interesting, mm-hmm. right? I um, mean, anyway. I'll leave it alone. But they, but hey, they um, tell you in everything in Interstellar rather than show yeah, well, it to that's, you. That's because it's Christopher right, as Nolan. As opposed to having a voiceover on this film where he just literally narrates <laughs> yeah. it because it's otherwise incomprehensible. Yeah, right, sure. Well, let's go with that theory. Yeah, yeah. 
Matt, as much as it begrudges me to do this, um, where can people follow your whacked out theories on, that are completely can, conspiratorial and yes. concocted on Scooby my, Snacks? My, my whacked out theories uh, at my website, mattwallen.com or on Twitter. I occasionally post a, a, a little bit here and there. I, I suggested the other day that I thought Ken Burns' next musical documentary should be uh, 16 hours on the history of Yacht Rock. Um, <laughs> Yacht Rock. <laughs> no, just having been watching his country music, uh, which has been great, but the last uh, episode of country music where they get into the Garth Brooks era made me sort of, oh, yeah. sort of sort of sick to my stomach a little bit, but um, which made me think Yacht Rock would be a next uh, great choice. But um, yeah, you can find mm, me because find me middle seventies soft rock is right <laughs> up Jason's alley. That's, yeah. that's what you reach for, isn't it? Some of the greatest yacht rock tracks of all yeah. time. I do go for the first five Journey records before Steve Perry joined. Tell you right, <laughs> but but I'm sure you've got a deep collection of Kenny Loggins and uh, Loggins you know, and like Loggins and Messina. <laughs> lot no of, Loggins and Messina. No, no, no uh, Hall and Notes. No Air Supply. Oh. Uh, Daryl Hall, yes. In the seventies, Daryl Hall, Hall and Oates, no. <laughs> bunch of, a bunch Smith of Steely Dan, six copies oh God, of Hey hey Nineteen. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a Steely Dan guy myself, yeah. but. Yeah, Christopher Cross, bring it on. Okay. Um, He's a shredding guitar player, Christopher Cross, <laughs> just so you know. You can I don't shred like his, his music, guitar, we'd be going a, well. He is a great guitar player. It's the Yacht um, Rock Podcast. Yeah. yeah let's sure. go. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> don't even get me started. As somebody that sails and like is into yachts, oh. just is oh, like yeah. so you, offensive. Dude, we could record it on your boat in Sydney Harbor. That would hey, be awesome. come down to Sydney yeah. and I'd be happy to record anything. I'll even record. A, a, we could drink pina uh, coladas and. Only if it's yeah. raining. Talk about Jimmy Buffett. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and wear our, our sad old bugger um, Hawaiian shirts because anything yeah. else looks really odd on our fat stomachs. Yeah. No, that would be awesome, guys. Yeah. I just think that's so good. <laughs> yeah. It's mm. on. Okay. Um, I don't even know where I was. Jason, did we, did we check? No, we didn't. Jason, where can no. people find you when you're not playing soft um, one hit wonders? <laughs> uh, I uh, uh, Super Sphere uh, and the Diamond Bros. Uh, uh, just my name, Jason Diamond, on all your favorite social platforms. Excellent, excellent. Well, we're going into a spate of uh, good films coming up, right? Like we have a few mm -hmm. um, really interesting. Just before we go, is there anything on your radar that you were looking forward to that <laughs> doesn't involve Yacht Rock? <laughs> um, Joker. Oh really? Okay, interesting. Yes. And um, uh, quick story: my buddy Chris was operating on Joker uh, a little bit here in New York, and he was in the room like they were waiting for people to come in, and and it was just him and Joaquin Phoenix. And Joaquin Phoenix is like, "All right, you ready to do this? Let's do it." And he's like, "Wait, what are we doing?" And he just started putting on the makeup. And all those shots in the trailer where he's putting on the makeup and the super close up and whatever, that's my buddy Chris, just like, okay, I guess this is what we're doing. Like, and it was just the two of them in the room, just like shooting shit. Uh, and uh, so that made, made me very excited. He said, Joaquin was very intense. Yeah. Uh, but um, I'm super excited uh, for The Irishman. I got from more than yeah, anything for I, I watched the trailer. The, all the DH stuff and. 
just the, and of yeah. course, same same boat as Gemini Man, right? Like for those yeah, yeah, incredible yeah. visual effects. Well, I had some friends working on that. Dennis uh, Miram too. Like when I was uh, yeah. at the Amazon thing in March, like he was uh, in the midst of working on that. And he couldn't tell me anything yeah. about it other than that he was working on it. But I'm really excited to yeah, see same. what they did. Which which film yes. did you say you had friends working on? Was it uh, Gemini Man or uh, Gemini Man? Yeah, Gemini Man. I want to. I keep asking them, like, please get me into a screening where I can watch 120 frames per eye stereo. Okay, so like, I just got invited I, I to that, to and I can't. That. I can't go. I got invited on Monday night, and I can't oh, go. I'm Jesus. gonna be out, out of state. And then we've got um, we've got the Terminator Dark Fate coming up, which just looks yep. like oh, awesome. Yeah. And yeah. uh, and you know a bunch of other really good things like uh, well there's another Star Wars coming obviously Rise of uh, yeah but let's not forget after that almost at the same weekend fighting for our attention cats I mean wow oh, no <laughs> can't wait what great <laughs> we have to do that we have to do we cats have to do is cats? our yacht rock episode yeah for oh, sure really oh my god oh, that would be no I don't know idea. I want to do that I don't want to I just feel so sorry for the poor bastards that worked on it I mean I think that they're like probably just themselves not wanting to I mean seriously like if you were working on that film you don't want to have somebody just do a podcast just claiming that the that's horrendous cats trailer the faces of the characters in the cats trailer looks like the annoying orange <laughs> okay, so that's, that's, I, which I love. It's a, done a, really well. In so, a, you know, in it's a not... facial discussion, I'm sure we could weave it into the Irishman and and Gemini. Yeah, but um, yeah, I don't know. I could do a whole episode on cats. I don't know. I could actually watch yeah. cats to have to do the episode. We can do an episode yeah, on I mean, cats never... rights based on the trailer. You know, the one guy put out a <laughs> one hour thing on the trailer, like one hour yeah. pulling yeah. apart the trailer. <laughs> nice. Yes. Holy crap. Okay, any any interest in uh, some of the other ones around that time? Maleficent or uh, Charlie's Angels? I, I know Matt, you're looking no. forward to Frozen too. Oh, of course. I I'm looking <laughs> forward to Uncut Gems, which I don't think has any visual effects in it, but uh, Adam Sandler and the uh, probably the only other Adam Sandler movie I will like besides Punch Drunk Love, um, uh, the Safdie Brothers. Who did good times? I thought you were going to go for uh, and some for, other movies for Zombieland. That seemed like a, a, a your kind is, of film. I'm sure it'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, but but there's some art movies coming out that I can't wait to see, like that one. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I can imagine you'll be first in in line to see uh, Little Women, uh, you know, coming out in uh, later this year. I'm going to go see that. I want to uh, see. Yeah, I'm, I'm a see huge Greta. Willa Cather fan. I like Greta Gerwig. She's cool. She's a cool uh, actor, I'm, filmmaker. I'm not a, I'll check it not out. Not much of her. I like Lady Bird, but I don't like her as an actress uh, necessarily. But uh, I have to see Mistress America and her other, like, her shit. Yeah. Okay. But Well, Emma uh, Watson's going to pull a crowd, so. Yeah. And all of that and more coming up here on the VFX Show. <laughs> Guys, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks so much for listening. Um, uh, Jason will be publishing on Spotify his favorite uh, Yacht Rock playlist. And until next time, I'm Mike Seymour. Thanks, guys. See you. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright FX Guide, LLC.